Only heaven knows how big baptism is. But what we know is that it serves as that for me. When I have had my doubts, when I have drifted, I have that anchor point of March 10th, 1974. I have that point where I said, Jesus is my Lord. And we want to give you that as we start this series today. We want you to, you know, we had a couple of people after uh, last service said, I don't want to wait till August 28th. I want to do it today. And they're going to be baptized after service. You know, that's you. That's fine. What will be cool is it'll be just as hot and humid on August 28th, I'll bet you, as it is right now. <laughs> and it's a, isn't it great? Isn't it great? Is that out there? It's, we do it in August because, well, February wouldn't be the same. Let's just call it that. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's just, it's the highlight of the year. You know, it's the highlight of the year. It, it, uh, it's something to watch that. And the stories are amazing. So Jesus is with his ragtag band in Caesarea Philippi, we're told. And I have to understand, pagan central. Pagan central. As a matter of fact, the god Pan, Baal, Worship was performed in Caesarea Philippi. Sherry and I literally stood at the cave where, and honestly, it was all about, people always ask, why did the Israelites always go to false gods? It's because it always involved sex. That's why. When they, they left Yahweh because Yahweh actually said, no, you won't do this, you won't do that. And here's reasons why. But the reason they followed false gods like Baal is, is, is sex. And so they would literally, they would literally have sex, have, get pregnant, and then throw the babies into the fire and worship to Baal and Pan. I mean, can you imagine the evil? And Jesus stands right there. He stands right there. And he goes, who do you guys say I am? Who do you, what's the word on the street too? What are people saying? I'm going to build my kingdom. And, and in my kingdom, the gates of Hades, which is the name of the place where they were standing, the gates of hell, will, this evil will not stand against it. But who do you say I am? What's your decision? And Peter gets it right. Peter got a law wrong, but he got this right. He said, you are the anointed one. You are the Christ. You are the one who was to come into the world. Now, that's a loaded statement. Because to the Jewish mind, the, the Messiah, which is literally what Christ or, or uh, uh, Messiah means, anointed one, the anointed one was going to be Superman. So everybody knows, faster than speedy bullet, more powerful than locomotive, leap tall buildings to think about. I mean, I'm not kidding you. Messiah was going to have an S on his chest, and whatever ruling power was in charge of the Jewish people at that time, that butt would be kicked out. And that was the image. Jesus knew in coming on in human flesh that he was establishing a different kingdom. That was the, he, that's not the kingdom he was establishing. He was establishing a kingdom of sacrifice and love. And so for him, if you want to use the Batman, uh, the, the uh, uh, Batman-Superman analogy, he actually, Messiah, is going to be more like Batman. He's vulnerable. He can, he can get cut. He can get bruised. He can get hurt. He's, he took on human flesh. And so look what he says. After Peter says that, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man, the Messiah, I was the designation of Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must kill, be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside. 
Jesus, let me straighten you out here. Can you imagine that? Imagine the presumption of Jesus, let me straighten you out. Because, why? It's because he'd been raised on Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. This is why to this day a lot of Jews don't accept Jesus as Messiah. Why? Because that's not, super, that's not our frame of what the, the Messiah was going to do. He was going to be a military conqueror. And he takes him aside and he began to rebuke him. You remember, remember, our faith is not based on the words of Jesus. Our faith is based on the testimony of those who said, we didn't believe him, but then he rose from the dead and now we believe him. So at this point, they don't believe him. They don't understand his kingdom. And the way, look at what he says. He turned and he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter. Peter, I've been hearing this whispered in my ear from Satan forever. Don't, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. Worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. You get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You're seeing this, as many people do, from a standpoint of earthly kingdoms. Who's in charge? Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples. Remember, Jesus had people who they weren't all in. Then he had the people who were in, because disciple means apprentice. These are the people who said, we want to apprentice how to do life under you. And he said, let me get this straight. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, let me tell you, in the next four weeks, we're going to unpack this line by line. But what I want you to see here is, is that word right there meant criminal. If you were carrying a cross through a town, that meant you had been judged guilty of a crime. So you're going to have to be willing to be so on mission with me that it could cost you a lot. Now, I'd realize that a lot of monks have taken that literally and, and you know, the, nail me to a cross with mosquitoes eating me and I'll love Jesus that way. That, that's not the point here. The point here is this. The point is, it's going to cause discomfort to follow me. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not. And, and, and then you're going to follow me. And then look what he says. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Now, how many Americans do we have here? Hold on to that one. It's really important that you Americans hold on to that one. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. Now remember, gospel wasn't a Christian word. Gospel, Caesar had his gospel. Today we call it, with presidents, their administration. This is what their administration got. This is, the gospel was the proclamation of the rulers said, here's how I'm going to bless the world. Things are going to get great. Jesus had his gospel that went against Caesar's gospel. And that's why Christians were persecuted. It was because of that. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Whoa. Now, I bet you have ten questions from that right there. Right? I mean, this is just, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We're going to unpack that in coming weeks, so you want to tune in. You want to be here as we just literally, as a lot of commentators do, they just, there's so much in that section. They literally unpack just one, one sentence at a time. But here's what I want you to see. In America, the gospel of America is really easy to spot. Find yourself. That's the gospel of America. Find yourself. Comfort yourself. Be yourself. Flesh out yourself. You know, don't, don't, don't be inhibited in any way. That's the gospel of America. 
And I think most of us would agree with that. It is uh, left, right, doesn't matter what you are. It is all about find yourself. The gospel of Jesus is lose your life for me. And then you'll find it in a better way. Do you see the problem here with the collision of those two ideologies? Huge problem. Huge collision. And I, last year, came across um, uh, the publishing of a new book by a guy that I'd read in Outside Magazine. I'd read him some in some health magazines. He did articles. His name's Michael Easter. Michael did a podcast with Ryan Hawk, The Learning Leadership. If you don't follow Ryan on Learning Leadership, you should. Episode 465 is Michael Easter talking about the book that was published last year. When I saw it and began to read it, I realized, oh my gosh, I have to do a teaching on, to our church on this. I have to. But I'm going to do it and juxtapose it against Mark 8. How does, how does this reality coalesce with this statement of following Jesus? And the title of the book was The Comfort Crisis. The Comfort Crisis. Now, what we have in America right now, we don't realize it because we're like the frog in the kettle. Remember the frog in the kettle? Doesn't realize it's boiling because why? Temperature slowly goes up. This thing called comfort creep, we are slowly dying and we don't even realize it. Fine. I have concerns when it comes to being a follower of Christ who said, you got to take up your cross. Uh, the way I put it is this. In America, how we blend that is Jesus is supposed to be my whoopee. He's my whoopee. Jesus is supposed to make my life good and bless my life and make my life comfortable and bless me. Just bless me. And you hope you say, God's blessed me. And, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll, we hear that, these terminologies that are all about Jesus is my whoopee. And then you read Mark 8 and you go, wait a minute. I, as, for me, as a suburban, comfy pastor, let's be honest, I'm not exactly leading in the streets of Calcutta here. I, I, I said, I've got to deal with this. I've got to deal with this. I've got to wrestle. I've got to rumble with this. And I think our church needs to. And if you remember, in 1983, there was a movie made with Michael Keaton called Mr. Mom. Does anybody remember that movie? And it actually was kind of ahead of its time because it was in the forefront of dads doing work around the house. I wish the movie had never been made. I wish it would have never been made. But it was on the forefront of that because he lost his job and his wife was moving up as, as, a, as an automotive executive and he was, he was Mr. Mom. Where there's this scene where dad sits down with Kenny and they, they gotta have a man-to-man -man about Kenny's whoopee. Take a look at this. This is the issue right here. Right here, right here it is. Listen, Ace, you and I have to have a man-to-man -man talk here about your whoopee. Your whoopee's looking bad, bud. Now, wait a minute. Now, listen to me. I understand that you little guys start out with your whoopies, and you think they're great, and they are. They are terrific. But pretty soon, the whoopee isn't enough. 
you're out in the street trying to score an electric blanket or maybe a quilt. And the next thing you know, you're strung out on bedspreads, Ken. That's serious. Now, give me the booby. No. Kenny, come on, man. No. Okay. Give it to me for a couple of days. If it doesn't work, you got the whoopee back. Please. such uh, truth to unpack there but one of the one of the the truths about this series is you're going to need to have your moment to yourself with this because there's the one side of this series that is going to to everyone's going to be challenged in this series you, everybody here is going to be challenged we do that with the, the confidence knowing also that the challenge we give is not out of the context of Christ's power to help you in the struggles you're having some of you are going to be uncomfortable to the degree that, nope, I'm not ready to give up my whoopee. And if you're hearing this today, even the next few minutes, and you're going, yeah, I'm checking out this series, you're the one that needs to hear this. You really need to hear this. Because just like with, hey, one day it's whoopies, the next day it's electric blankets, and then it's quilts, and your score, you know, there's a thing that Michael Easter unpacks called the, the comfort creep. And this really, really, really is pertinent to Americans, but I, as a pastor, I have a concern about you in our church. If I don't do my job well, and sometimes that means as a pastor being the sand in the oyster, <laughs> that is uncomfortable, then you'll never see the pearl of great price in your life. I'll give you an example. As pastors, we see this, and this, this, is, this is really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable because I bet you know someone who expressed this or you yourself expressed this way. In 1998, we were out of space. We just had no space. And, and we said, there's nothing we can do. We got to start doing church on Saturday night too. And so he said, we're going to start doing church on Saturday night. And I had people, God's will is that church is done on Sunday only. I'm leaving this church. My wife wants to, wants to go on Saturday to be a part of the 400 who are going to make room for other people but I'm not coming anymore. I mean, we had people who left our church because we were doing church on Saturday night. Back then, you don't realize how back then it was just a big deal. So we do this Saturday night thing and, and it takes off. And for years it takes off. Then culture changes and for the last seven years we did it, it was dying slowly. It was, it was, uh, it was slowly decreasing in attendance. Why? Because people don't go to church anymore in America. So you don't do it on a night that people don't normally go to church in America, let alone doing it on the day people do go to church in America, which is Sunday. And so we began to experience that. And, I, and, and, and I, I'd ask people, you know, what would you do if in your company the highest cost product you have is also the lowest return product? What would you do? 
Well, for seven years we went, ah, we don't want to stop this because there's some people that are really comfortable with it. And so the pandemic hit, culture really changed. Our church is half the size it was before the pandemic still. And that's made up of, because most of you are new. <laughs> that's, that's most of you are new. And we said, it's the time. It's the time to do the hard thing and just something that's caught. It's even, you haven't lived until you've had to get volunteers for children's ministry in the summer on Saturday night. I mean, just, you haven't lived. And we got to do this. And, um, and the ensuing two years, have people come to me, I'm mad at you. You took away my Saturday night. When's Saturday night coming back? I mean, look, my, 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 my wife will be in downtown Cincinnati and someone will see her and say, when are you bringing back Saturday night, lady? When are you doing that? And it's a really interesting thing on that is I've never had someone come to you and say, man, I was bringing people to Jesus because of Saturday night. It's always, it was for me. Because I could have Sundays to myself. It was always about, and then I realized, oh man, we, we, we've, we've been creeped by comfort. It happens all the time. So if that's you, and you're back, by the way, I'm glad to have you back, but if that's you, that's normal. Because the brain, your brain survived because of comfort. Truthfully, we'll unpack this, but because of comfort. And, and, and then it, and it doesn't want to do anything uncomfortable. That's why we have to tell students, let's get comfortable being uncomfortable. Well, Michael Easter saw this, and he looked at his own life, and he began to write about this. Now, let me say before I tell what he's told, that, that in and of itself, comfort is not the problem. Comfort is not the problem. Comfort in and of itself, God is God for comfort. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so we can comfort others. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in prickly grass. Is that what it says? Oh, he leads me beside quiet waters. He, I mean, God, comfort is not the problem. Comfort as a conscious or unconscious pursuit, purpose, priority is the problem if you want to follow Christ. It's a problem. So Easter writes this book in which he talks about we have this comfort crisis. And in the book, he tells his story as one day he realizes that alcohol was his comfort blanket. That was his whoopee. He said, it killed the stress around my job. It quickly ended boredom. It numbed me to sadness, anxiety, and fear. It covered me from what was uncomfortable. The insecurity, situations, thoughts, emotions that are just a part of being a human being. Which is what alcohol does. It keeps you from being human. That's what it does. At 28, one morning, he said he woke up soaked for the second day in a row in urine and vomit tinged with whiskey. <laughs> he said, I chose to embrace the discomfort of ditching my liquid comfort blanket. He said he entered into acute physical hell through drying out, headaches, nausea, exhaustion, shakes, sweats. Then the real discomfort started, dealing with the bigger challenge of frenetic thoughts as his booze-altered brain began to rewire itself. Day by day, I embraced the raw discomfort of harsh change, and soon the world opened up. He said he wasn't completely a new person overnight, someone who would be confused with Mr. Rogers, but he said, I was awake. I was aware. I was becoming alive. And he said that's when he realized that his life needed medicating, not because it was too uncomfortable, but ironically because it was too comfortable. That's why he needed medication. Look at these words. 
He writes, we are living progressively sheltered, sterile, temperature controlled, overfed, underchallenged, safety netted lives. And it's limiting the degree to which we experience our one wild and precious life. Now think about this. Jesus, John 10 says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I know the way. I know the truth. I know the life. Do you trust me in that? Then my way is the way to that. And I looked at this and I thought, ooh, but I'm a suburban pastor and I got to wrestle with this. Because I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I think, I think we, we have to wrestle with this. So comfort is not the problem. Comfort is a conscious, unconscious pursuit is a problem. And as Christ followers, we have to gradually grow into seeing discomfort as a discipline. It's the way we live. It's interesting. As, as our way to live for Christ and with Christ. That, that is the gist of this. Now, as you're hearing this, if you have chronic back pain, I'm not saying, well, you're way too comfortable. We need to amp up that back pain. No. You, you may have a physical pain that is real that you need to bring into your relationship with Christ, but maybe, maybe your comfort levels are other areas. Maybe, maybe there's some moral comfort. Maybe there's an emotional whoopee you're using. Easter writes, I was marinating in comfort, except these were less acutely destructive, but potentially more insidious forms of it. I had to take a look at my everyday life. I was comfortable quite literally every single moment. I awoke in a soft bed in a temperature-controlled home. I commuted to work in a, in a pickup with all the conveniences of a luxury sedan. I killed any semblance of boredom with my smartphone. I sat in an ergonomic desk chair, staring at a screen all day, working with my mind, not my body. When I arrived home from work, I filled my face with no effort, high caloric foods that came from Lord knows where. Then I plopped down on my overstuffed sofa to binge on television, streamed down from outer space. I rarely, if ever, felt the sensation of discomfort. The most physically uncomfortable thing I did, exercise, was executed inside an air-conditioned building as I watched cable news channels that are increasingly bent on making my worldview comfortable rather than challenging it. And, if, and I wouldn't run outside unless the conditions were well, very comfortable. Not too hot, neither too cold, just go. Goldilocks. And that may be characterizing it some way, but the truth of the matter is, while it may not be conscious, we have been creeped upon by comfort to the degree now, if someone says, you got to go to church at a different time. Ah! Ah my life! You messed up my life! Okay, that was too personal. That was too personal. So what we do in Players Box is this. So here's what we do in Players Box. In Players Box, we have this video we do in one of the opening sessions, and it's called the Jungle Tiger video. It's one of my favorite things. I can't remember the name of the guy who put it together, but it's this video of two tigers. And the one tiger, we'll call him Tony. Tony grows up in the jungle. His brother, Tigger, is separated from him at birth and grows up in a zoo. So DNA is not the issue. Physical gifting is not the issue. I mean, they're basically the same tiger, but one grows up, and every day Tigger is fed. And he, and he, has a, he, he doesn't have to worry about threat. And he gets water. All his needs are taken care of. The, the, the most strenuous thing that Tigger has to do every day is go outside a little bit so people can, oh, Tigger. That's, 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 that's his work. His work is going outside and laying down on a stone. 
Did you see this week? Casper Mattress Company. Have you seen this? Offering jobs to people who are extraordinarily good sleepers. They will pay $25 an hour for you to sleep on their mattress and then post it on TikTok. It's, it's, a, it's a gig. You can get, I can hear dads going, son, I found the job for you. Eight hours a day, you got to be a good sleeper. You got to be able to sleep through a lot, and then you got to be willing to post. Here's me sleeping on TikTok, and and and, and it says it'll lead to em- other employment opportunities. You know what they call this? The dream job, the dream job. <laughs> Some of you are going, hey, I'm looking up Casper Mattress Company. And so the t- Tigger, that's all Tigger has to do. Tigger literally, his job is sitting on a stone every once in a while, jumping in water which is temperature controlled, by the way. But that's different than Tony. Tony has to hunt. Tony has to search for food. Tony has to live a life in the jungle every single day because he doesn't train to live like he has to as a predator and maybe potential predatee in the jungle. Then he dies. And here's the brilliance of our jungle video is this. We live in a zoo but we wanna thrive like we're in the jungle, like we're living in the jungle all the time. And we haven't trained for it. We haven't trained for it. So it's no wonder we have this epidemic of anxiety, depression, stuff that we go, the rest of the world looks at and goes, you you call that a crisis. And on the one hand, we wanna thrive in this life thing called the jungle of life, but we don't want to train for it. I think one of the reasons that Jesus is the way, truth, and life is if you live the way he does, you're, you're asking for discomfort that grows you. Life becomes training. When we were in the Sinai Peninsula camping out, which is one of Sherry's favorite things ever, camping in the Sinai Peninsula and, and camels are farting at night, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, it was just so uncomfortable. I remember we, we were under the care of a sheik for 24 hours, and, and I remember they're telling us we don't have a word in our vocabulary called training. We don't have a word for training. Why? Why do you think that was? It's life. Life for the jungle tiger is training. And, and so we expect students who are raised in a zoo cage to then go into life and thrive. We expect us to thrive in the jungle of this thing called life of uncertainty and randomness and danger. But we don't train for it. And, and, and so Tigger's in trouble. What would happen if we took Tigger out of the zoo and put him in the jungle? What would happen? He wouldn't last. He just, he wouldn't last. And here's what, here's what Brene Brand says so, 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 so brilliantly. You can have comfort and you can have growth, but you cannot have both. That one of the enemies of your relationship with Christ and living Christ out in your life is actually comfort creep. It's actually, like, like watch, look for this. Now, I, I started reading this last year and then I finished it this summer because I was just doing a lot of planning. And so I've been doing this analysis and, and for 37 years I've been doing church ministry which anyone who knew me in high school would go, you did what? And for 37 years, on a weekly basis, I've wanted to quit. Some of you ask, when are you retiring? Because you're getting kind of old. Well, I've been asking that question since I was 24 years old leading the church. I've been asking that question, when can I retire? Because you know why? It's been 37 years of uncom- discomfort. Like, <laughs> it is so uncomfortable for me. And I, I, I realized, oh my gosh, that's why it's valuable. 
That's why it works. Instead of me griping about it, why don't I just say, Jesus, this is my gift to you. And so you can have comfort, you can have growth, but you can't have both. And you've got to decide how you're going to leverage your life. Is your life going to be training in the jungle, for the jungle, for Christ? And that you actually do some things that Christ calls you to morally, relationally, that aren't comfortable. I could stand up here today and tell you some things that morally that Jesus calls people to, that in America, man, we want the kingdom, but we don't want the king telling us that. <laughs> we don't want the king telling us that. That's uncomfortable. And, and so we have to build a certain training program. Now, let me give you something really quick that is just a building this is a, a book by Steve Magnus called Do Hard Things. He's a marathoner. But he has a brilliant scientific analysis of what builds resilience and toughness. And he opens the book by showing that the junction boys of Bear Bryant and Bobby Knight's way of coaching at Indiana University back in the day, throwing chairs and, and whipping guys, that's not toughness. He shows it on a, on a, on a human developmental scientist. That's not toughness. That's not toughness. Toughness is a totally different thing if you want to build it in your life and students. But he has these four pillars. And he says, first pillar is ditch the facade that you're tough because you're probably not like your ancestors were and embrace reality. And for me, I had to embrace, you know what? Jesus said, and we're going to look at this. Jesus said to somebody who wanted to follow him, hey, 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 foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I don't have a little place, I, 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 I don't have a place to lay my head. Not only do I not have a comfort to bull home, I don't have a home. You still want to follow me? And I read that and I go, it's hot in here today. It's humid in here today. Aren't you glad we did that today, made this humid today, just so you would really get this sermon today that you made, we made all second. I live in a comfort-controlled home. How does that affect, does that affect my, my, my following? It does. I got to embrace that reality. That I live in a comfort, con, a climate-controlled home. I don't even have to turn the thermostat. Do any of you like this? I don't even have to change the thermostat in the morning when I get up. It does it for me. Accept what you're capable of. If today you're hearing this and you know you've gotten physically, uh, physically comfortable and you know that you just don't like physical discomfort at all, then if today you say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start walking a quarter mile every day this week. And then next week I'm gonna walk half a mile for a week. You know what you're capable of and you know when to hold them and when to fold them. It doesn't mean you enter into destructive pain, but it does mean, yeah, he's talking to me. I don't like discomfort, and there's no way to follow Jesus without it. That's the first pillar. Second pillar, listen to your body. Your emotions are messengers, not dictators. In a country that it is about finding yourself, what is the truth? Emotions are dictators and messengers. They tell me, this is awful, this is making me uncomfortable, and now I'm going to go how I feel if you do that, you're going to die slowly. Own the voice in your head. You're not a victim. You are the dictator of your life under the lordship of Christ. Third pillar, respond instead of react. Keep your mind steady. Turn the dial so you don't spiral. I love this section because it's one of the things we teach. You have the event, you have the outcome, and in the middle is the response. Correct? And every single person who lives with Christ who honors Christ, they, they begin to integrate all of their life into the jungle of following Christ. They, they have this ability to respond. How, how could I be like Jesus in this moment? And he has a, uh, Michael Easter has a whole section on the value of standing in line. 
The value of standing in line. So when you, how many of you are going to Kroger after we're done here? Choose the longest line. And don't open your phone because you'll enter into suffering for Jesus if you do that. You'll enter into discomfort. And he shows, I mean, fine, use your phone to help pass time, right? Phones, I'm sure, have changed vis, uh, uh, waiting rooms. But when you do that, you're missing training for the jungle. And, and so the value of keeping your mind steady, that when I'm standing in line, there's actually something happening in your brain when you stand in line, which if you're like me, you always choose the one that you think is going to be fastest, and then every time it ends up being the slowest one. Thank you, Jesus, for growing me into your image, right? Fourth pillar, transcend discomfort. Build the foundation to do hard things. This is what Jesus did. Jesus didn't just show up and die on a cross one day. He lived his whole life in a way that was training him for I'm going to give my life. I came to seek and save the lost. I came to give. I came to die. His whole life was dying to self, dying to self. And so this is where you integrate your life and you find meaning in discomfort. This is so cool that everything in your life that you do for Christ and everything you do in life can be for Christ. And that it can be, Jesus, I'm entering into this with you. Even those of you who have some severe chronic pain right now, can you enter into Christ with that and bring Christ into that with you? You can. You can. I, uh, every, every workout I ever do, every physical discomfort I ever go through, when I reach one, a point in one where I want to quit, this verse has saved me for so many years. This verse right here has saved me. And I, I can't tell you the hundreds of times when I've got that one more mile to go, one more, you know, or, or even, even spiritual discomfort, prayer, um, spiritual discomfort of leading, that it's always this verse, I want to know Christ, Paul said, and the power of his resurrection. And look at this phrase, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him when he performed miracles. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Becoming like him in his death. Because the person who has the strength to let that happen can overcome anything. And then he says, if somehow I may also attain the resurrection of the dead. I can't tell you the hundreds of times when I want to quit. And it's that moment of, but I'm entering into some degree of identifying with Jesus in this. And you can too. You can too. Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest, says, he said, this is why, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to pray for a, a humiliation a day. Pray for one. Or you get humiliated. You get insulted. Why? Because Jesus got insulted. Jesus got humiliated. He didn't deserve it. I'm a Browns fan, so I get that every day. I don't have to pray for it. I don't have to pray for it. But you get, why did he say that? He didn't say, hey, you know, oh, that hurts self-esteem. No, he didn't care about self-esteem as much as he cares about the self being lost in him. So you can find yourself. So we're going to do something here right now. We're going to reprise a song. I, uh, in the summers, many of you know my favorite movie is Jaws, and everything I ever need to learn in leadership, I learned from Jaws. Everything. And there's this scene. If you've never seen Jaws, you probably know about this scene. You know about this scene where the whole leaders of the town are in the city hall trying to decide what they're going to do about this marauding shark, and all of a sudden, what do you hear? 
screeching of fingernails on a chalkboard. Very uncomfortable. And everybody turns around, and it's Captain Quint, the shark fisherman. He says, you all know me. You know how I earn a living. And he says, I'll catch this bird for you, but it's not going to be pleasant. And I was thinking of this this week. He, this is what this month is. He looks at them, and he goes, now you're going to have to decide. Are you going to ante up and start living? Or are you going to play it cheap and be on welfare all winter? And I think this is what Jesus was doing in Mark 8. He was looking at people and going, what do you want? You got, he was always doing this. He was always making people decide what they wanted. What do you want? You want the American way? Go for it. It's not working, by the way. Or do you want life? Do you want more life than you could have ever dreamed of? And you've got to make up your mind. Because I'll show you the way. I'll show you the truth. I'll show you the life. But it's not the American way. And so this month, we're presenting the opportunity for those of you who have never publicly said, hey, I'm, I'm like Michael Easter. I'm not going to be confused with Mr. Rogers overnight, but I, this, is the, this is the journey I want to be on. Some of you have made that decision in the past, but you know you've creeped into comfort. And you need to repent of that and say, Jesus, I don't want the priority of my life to be comfort. I want it to be you. We're ready for you. This month is a month for you to say, I'm ready to take up my cross and follow you. Jesus, you hear us right now. Some of us are holding on to our whoobies. And you're looking at us saying, hey, let go. Turn your life over to me. Follow me, my way. Enter into the discomfort that I will present morally, intellectually, emotionally, physically, relationally. And you'll lose your life. And I'll give it back to you better than you could have ever dreamed of it. Because many of us here today are just, there, there are so many people here doing, they're doing it. May many of us join them. Thank you. Thank you. The symbols of your body and blood tell us discomfort is the way to life. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand up? Let's sing as we go.